Modern Day Mystic, where we discuss all things spiritual, esoteric, and rather unusual, and try and get some common sense and some practicality in it. And today, once again, we're chatting with a delightful medium, therapist, entrepreneur, counselor, and jack of all trades, Zareda Garda. Hello, Zareda. How are you doing? <laughs> Hi, Kathy. Thank you for that very lovely introduction. I was like, who is she talking about? Oh, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> own it, own it, own it. <laughs> I'm owning it. I'm owning it. <laughs> so this week we were discussing, like, what are we going to do? Because it's just such a smorgasbord of, of such interesting things to talk about when we, when we you know, choose these podcasts. And I, I, I suppose watching my sister still battle with her, her grief journey, um, I think, you know, I think a lot of people out there, we, we've got this um, strange idea of what grief and grieving should look like and be like. And until you've experienced it, and even still when you've experienced it, you know, when we go through another, the death of a different person or the different relationship to a person, we can have all sorts of um, grief revisited. So I think we're going to start off with there. And um, I think that's okay with you, Hazel Rader. Mm, yes, absolutely. And I so agree with you. I think, you know, our society is like quick fix, get over it approaches to emotions generally. And yeah. It has absolutely no notion of how to help us deal with grief. So yeah. it's like, you know, oh, aren't you over that already? Or why aren't you over that? Um, and as if it is something that can be quickly fixed or, yes. or medicated way. Mm. So one of the things that I found strange, I mean, I, I might have mentioned it in previous podcasts, but I think it's quite important to know. We go through, I mean, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross had those nice stages, which is set out of the five stages of grief. And anybody that's ever read any of our work or seen anything to do with grief will know that there's five stages. But, you know, you and I were talking about them. And I, uh, the, the one stage that I was very surprised at with myself because I'm passive aggressive was the anger. Because I thought, well, of course, we go, of course, we get angry. You know, I mean, my sister had um, terminal cancer and it was a long, painful uh, two years for her to go through, you know, the treatment and then the consequent, you know, acceptance of where she was at. And when she actually died, um, I was over here. I got so angry. And I was almost watching myself from, the, from a therapist's perspective at, at moments. I'm thinking, why are you so angry? And I'm going, well, of course, it's grief. But why was it so doubly angry? Because when my mom died, it was shock. And I hadn't really gone through any anger through that. So this, this was almost like it was double fold, that I had this double whammy of grief and being the cyclic nature that I am, like I'm really very ruled by the moon and things. So by the time the, the year came around again, and of course it was October, which was breast cancer month again, I, and all these people are saying, well, you know, like come and run for breast cancer or buy a pink ribbon. And I wanted to smack people <laughs> in the face, which was totally surprising for me because it's like, no, well, normally I'm okay, let me do it. But no ways, like keep that pink ribbon away from me because the, all the research didn't help save my sister. So, mm. you know, at the end of the day, the, 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 the different emotions that we can go, go through leads to a lot of confusion. And last, last episode we were chatting and I said, when my mom died, that set me on a journey to go and visit um, psychics and mediums and try and find some comfort, try and find some clue as to where my mom was. Now that you and I are busy exploring this avenue, you know, on the personal level, 
um, you know, what kind of what kind of experience have you had which you would maybe be able to help the listeners in in your own uh, business? Mm. I think you know one of the biggest things to understand and realize about the grieving process is that it's it's very cyclical and circular. It isn't yeah. as great as those stages are that you were talking about. We don't go through them in a linear way. We pop yeah. through them. We, you can cycle through all of them about 10 times in one day, yeah. you know? So I think the, the thing about grief is it, it kind of has a life of its own. And a big part of the grieving process is you have no choice but to surrender to it. The more you resist it, the more you fight it, the more you tend to then have big blow-ups or breakdowns or like lose your cool completely at work or, or various other things because you're trying to kind of be normal. You know, yeah. as it is, emotion is difficult to deal with when we're going through stuff in life on a normal basis. And then yeah. grief comes along and, and, and just turns the volume up to like 100 out of 10 on everything. Yeah. So yeah. There's, there's like huge amounts of things. And as you're saying, it kind of, they sort of build up and build onto each other. Yeah. So if you hadn't processed things in, a, in an earlier grieving process, you're going to get the double whammy, you know? So then mm. the anger will seem even more intense because in a way grief is kind of like this, existential kind of path to our soul where yeah. we are forced into a deeper sense of understanding ourselves and the meaning of life. Cause what, what, what is the whole point? You know, hustle, 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 buy a big house. No, not really point only, you know, there's yeah. so much more depth to us as human beings, as souls. And I think grief forces us into this rite of passage around that and we, you know, the emotions, it's like you've got to kind of ride the wave of the emotions, which mm. when we're not taught to deal with emotion generally, is going to feel totally alien, totally scary, totally overwhelming, you know? Yeah. And, and it'll feel like you're constantly being t hit by this tsunami because that's what grief can feel like. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's like, you know, someone's, I can't remember who always gives the analogy of, processing things it's like digestion you can't make your digestion go faster because you want it to it goes yeah. at the pace that it is depending on what it's digesting and and grieving is a is a similar process it's like it has a life of its own and a part of the the rite of passage the the soul journey with grieving is recognizing that you have to surrender into it and the yeah. surrendering process can take the first few months if not whole first year after someone you love passes away of, of learning that the, that you are changed forever, that nothing is the same. And yet we try to keep things the same, but they're not. Yeah. And when we're able to start accepting that and surrendering to the soul journey, it does become slightly easier because we're yeah. flowing a little bit more with it. If that makes sense. That does make perfect sense. And, you know, the, the, the flow, we keep thinking, you know, a lot of spiritual people and a lot of spiritual gurus and teachers, they talk about the flow. But that all sounds nice in, into our minds. But our physical bodies aren't always the part of the flow of the physical bodies is that, as you said, we, it's like a tsunami. You, you feel like you've got a sucker punch in your stomach one minute and then you've got that, that water that's pulling you back from this from this big wave that's just hit you. And then before you know it, there's another wave. So 
I think you and I, we, we often focus um, not just on the, the feelings and the emotions of it, but we look at how, how it actually affects our physical body. And a lot of the spiritual realm, people forget this dynamic that you are going to feel really shit. You know, you're going to feel like you just can't cope. So although you think feelings are in the head, there is this, as you, and I love that description you said about the digestion of the emotions, because no matter how spiritual we are, we can't get our stomach to digest any food quicker either. It is just something our body has to go through and it will take as long as it takes. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that, that the feelings are feelings, yes, but how are they showing up in the body? And how can we actually physically work with that in the body? So um, this morning I was chatting to a friend and she was saying that she went to a boxing class and at the gym and I thought, well, that's really cool. So someone like my sister who's, who's battling with the anger, you know, she said, why don't you come to the boxing class? And I thought that was such a good idea, but you don't want to hit anything when you're feeling that angry because you may, might end up hitting yourself. But for a long time, I was going to, um, I think it was called the Tybo class where like you're mock boxing, so you're not actually, you're, you know, you're shadow boxing, you're air boxing, but the motion of getting it out of me really accessed the part of me physically, which, you know, I couldn't talk it out because it was a physical aspect. So that's what I love about the, the therapy that you and I do is that we do look at the, the body within the emotional and, and, and mental realm of the feelings. Exactly. And because it is, it's about, it's about integrating mind, body, spirit, right? Yeah. And yeah. definitely, you know, what something that I teach clients as well is if you maybe not may managing to get to a class like that, um, to do some of emotional processing techniques like the physical techniques of, you know, punching the air. Um, and another nice one is to lie on your bed and have a tantrum and like really whack the bed with your arms and really kick your legs because the bed gives you a nice resistance. It's a bit yeah. like the punching bag. So yeah. you get the resistance that you need to help push the anger out, push yeah. the, the frustration and the, and you could scream, you know, I'm always t telling people to find some really good, loud, angry music. And another yeah. good one is to just shout and scream and sing loudly um, when yeah. you're in your car, because that's a great place to, to allow, you know, processing. So it's like, go allow the body to do what it needs to when there's yeah. anger to do the, the sort of fighting motions in safe ways to scream, yeah. rant. The, the one, you know, with the crying, we know that one more curl up in a small ball, cover yourself up, allow the tears to flow. But yeah. Using that those kinds of techniques or joining a class, that kind of thing can be huge. Just move it through, keep moving it through. That's, I think, the big thing is as you feel it, trust it and let it move through by doing some of these, these kind of techniques or, you know, punching things, getting a punching bag at home even um, so that it's moving, moving through your body and you're moving with it. That would yeah. be riding the wave of the grief. Um, yeah. you know, in a much more holistic, healthy way for yourself. It's not to not feel. It's yes. to acknowledge and be with the feelings. Definitely, you know, find a therapist that can support you with that too. But then allow your body to express and move the emotion, the motion yeah. of it, of the grieving. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And emotion, exactly. So the adrenaline mm -hmm. and stuff that we experience in that anger or in the different range of emotions that we go through, 
I always say, watching one of these TV series, I think it was Criminal Minds I saw years ago, they said the emotion only lasts for 90 seconds. So if you're in a rage, it will only last for 90 seconds. And this is why they could count how many times people would be stabbed and then they would know this something triggered this rage off, often again. And I remember thinking at the beginning of lockdown and when, pe- when, when we were forced to stay at home, and not even be allowed out to exercise and things. There was a lot of my fellow athletes and stuff were really stuck with all this excess adrenaline with with it with to nowhere to go. And never mind the fear and the frustration, everything that goes with it. So I used to do some live little tips on, on my Facebook page. And I used to say, go outside in the garden and just shout. It's only going to last mm. 90 seconds. Mm. And 90 mm. seconds, it's a minute and a half. You know, the, the kids next door have longer tantrums. But, you know, <laughs> in a way, it's almost like it's not going, you're not going to stay angry for the whole day. Once, as you say, you've processed it through your body and once it's actually been allowed out. But what us Westerners often tend to do is like, I'm fine, I'm fine, especially us British. We're very good at that. You know, the stiff upper <laughs> lip is all in that jaw and that, that bottom lip of John Cleese, you know. It's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm really fine, you know. <laughs> yeah, mid I'm fine. <laughs> and meanwhile, it's all locked in, the, it gets locked in the tissues and in the body and that's and- where a lot of the... Mm. And that's what makes it worse, right? Yes. That's what makes it build and accumulate. And then you have the, like, driving your kind to someone else's moments. <laughs> Hopefully not. But <laughs> because it's built up so much because we are not flowing with the motion of the emotion, right? Yes. Because we're scared of it. I think most of us are oh, scared we're of terrified. it. We're terrified. We're terrified. Our whole society, the global yes. society is scared of emotion generally. Yeah. <laughs> so we touched on fear and the the grief that can bring up all these range of emotions and that is one of the things that you know like when you're when you've just lost recently lost somebody and you're feeling bereaved your your emotions go all over the show when people say it's, it's, it's good to find you know go and speak it over with somebody but i find that the initial months of 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 a um losing someone there's a there's a huge element of shock and therapy of course can Mm be good for that but I find that myself I often get a lot of like really delayed grief in my Mm. client because they hadn't processed it they hadn't found a therapist you know at the at the time when when all these emotions were beginning to present themselves because they kept Mm. saying I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine and then obviously later on they've got the realization well maybe I'm not fine or somebody suggests to them so how do you how do you experience people coming to your therapy practice well you know so sometimes people come when just when they've lost someone but this year with COVID and various things I've had a number of people in the literally in the COVID year as we you know Mm. I've had people who've actually lost people in the year and you know you're so it's so true and so right what you're saying about the shock. And I think what often people don't talk about or allow for is that the shock is a stage on its own, actually. Yeah. Um, and we need to be in shock because our psyche, our beings cannot completely process in one go what's just happened because it's unthinkable, it's unimaginable, it's unsurvivable, Right. The body is designed to stay alive. And when we lose someone we love through death, it brings up fear in our physical body around death. 
and the terror and horror of losing someone we've loved. So shock is an important part of the process. You know, even when we just experience another kind of trauma, like a mugging or something, mm. um, people often rush in to do counseling quite quickly even. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what I find is that we often, it, you know, from my side, it's just kind of biding time a little bit and, and, and just tracking with my client and, and just giving them the space to be in shock because giving yeah. shock its own honoring in a way, you know, with every emotion that we, that comes up with grief, you know, as I was saying before, it's this existential soul journey, you know, this finding meaning in life, finding a deeper sense of self and other. Um, yeah. And so when we track through with the emotions in that way too, we give them the space, we give them the honor of all the gifts that they're there to share with us, you know, um, that help us deepen into understanding ourselves. Yeah. And so the shock is definitely something that I think a lot of people don't talk about or try and brush past. So they, they can be shock. Sometimes if, if the person is spiritual, they can be like a spiritual euphoria that comes up. Yeah. And that can feel amazing because you feel like, you know, you, you're connecting with your loved one. You may be getting messages from them or feeling like you, you still like, cause you, you do when, when, when someone dies, we go into that liminal space through the veil kind of a little bit with them. And so we have, have that access and then suddenly it starts hitting us. And that's, I think when the difficult emotions start whacking us, the tsunami comes of the shock starts wearing off and the reality of them not being physically present anymore starts like really hitting us. And it's like those body shots of just like kind of thing. And then, you know, so to, to, I think it's so helpful having a therapist that can work with grief because a lot of a lot of therapists of varying kinds and coaches and whatever all do amazing work, but you know not everyone is comfortable with grief. Grief is incredibly difficult to work with. It's like sitting with death and sitting with it and just sitting with it with your client, you know, and and being able to hold it for them when they can't, and and yeah. to stay steady and alive as a presence, as a holding space, whilst they are struggling incredibly. Um, to come to terms with the loss, to go through these cycles of emotions, you know, like we were saying, on a daily basis, um, on an hourly basis, even sometimes. And to just, and then, you know, uh, to track through with it. Sorry, Kath, you yeah. say? No, no. Because, and, and there's new things that happen. It's like, well, you know, any, any as, as the, the time passes, there's new things that pop up that all of a sudden you're, mm. you're, you're grieving for all over, like the loss of the future, the loss of... Mm you know, oh, well, there's a special anniversary or birthday or, or event happening, or even just a Saturday night. And I, I know that I've watched a couple of, of my Facebook friends have lost their partners. And on Saturday night, this they, it seems to be particularly bad because it's a, you know, something where they would do things together. And now all of a sudden, they're sitting there going, I didn't think it could be this hard two years down the line mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is when it's, as you say, is so useful to go and sit with a therapist and just I don't know, explore it, but also just, as you say, hold the space for the person that's suffering with this new loss. This is a new loss. You mean I've got a future without that person? You know, and mm. it's like all over again, the shock. And and you, you didn't think you'd have to come up with new futures, right? Yes. You kind of had things that were 
working out the way and you were in the rhythm of the habit of your life. And yeah. to say these, I think these, those, the new losses or the realizations of the little losses sometimes yeah. are even more unbearable because yeah. they come out of nowhere. Like, like you start, you almost brace yourself to try and like the bigger ones, you know, and then suddenly you have these little moments like, oh my God, this person isn't here for Saturday night for uh, yeah. that wedding we were planning to go to, you know, in six months time. And suddenly now I have to go to this wedding alone. Oh my God, yeah. what do I and and it's it's so it it utterly destabilizes us. It shatters us, like yeah. completely shatters your sense yeah. of self, your your whole life, your whole way of being. And it's just in these different layers, you know, these big, yeah. huge ones, and then these little tiny ones, you know. Yes. So it's it's such a huge thing to yeah. to go through. I mean, my my I saw as well that somebody was saying, you know, that the big loss, um, and time helps I'm going well as as my mum's coming up for 30 years gone this year and I'm going occasionally I'll have the random thought I need to phone ma and then before I've even finished the thought there's this realization oh she's not here but it's not the Mm -hmm. sadness is eased that kind of pain but that's she was she was my mum but there's and and there's there's a habit of thinking where you go oh it's not like oh mum would have liked this there's this automatic oh I must oh you know, and we catch ourselves. And it's those little thoughts, especially when you're still really, really sore and really bleeding over the loss of, of anyone, where, as you say, it's like a new loss all over again. It's a new grief and it's shattered. And I like the image where somebody said it's like a, it's like a china vase that breaks and you can put the big pieces together, but it's all these little pieces that, you know, you've got to try and fit, fit it back in and fit to, to, to move on in your life, feeling whole but you've still got all these cracks and these breaks so now I'm saying yeah Mm. I've had my whole adult life without my mum but at the end Mm. of the day you know it still didn't prepare me for for the loss of a sister or the loss of a friend or the loss of a colleague or the loss of a running thing so there's all these accumulated losses and I know we've talked we've talked quite extensively about grief but you and I know that as you say there's not a lot of people that want to talk about all these little nitty-gritty things about grief because it mm. is so painful. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, and I think that's part of what the problem is socially with, for, for, for so many of us is like, if we were more open and allowing of it as a process, um, almost like the wearing the black armbands for a year kind of thing, you know, yeah. we, it would be, it wouldn't never be easier, but at least we'd have more comfort in, in yeah. allowing it or being able to know what to do when it happens. Yeah. Most of us are clueless. Most of us have no idea. We're just hit by this giant, like, you know, chaos and have no idea what to do or, or how to cope. For sure. I mean, I remember as a little girl, like, being curious because that's who I am. But somebody want, some, some people want to talk about the love, lost loved ones and some people don't. So if they're mm-hmm. wearing, like, say, a black dress for a year, my inclination is, I'm sorry, you've obviously lost somebody. And it might give that person a chance to tell me about the person that they've loved and lost. Mm-hmm. And then it's also helpful for them. But nowadays, because we don't have any you know, external um, distinguishing signs, they say, okay, look, this I'm grieving. You don't expect a, a normal answer from me. And then suddenly like you'll burst into tears in the middle of a meeting because something's just hit you. People will go, what's mm. wrong, what's wrong? Which actually is, 
is is hard because now you're not sitting there in your black dress saying, okay, well, you know, whereas before, it, I think maybe the the Mediterranean countries might still do it. I don't know, but they, you know, you would sort of go, you would just support that person. What do you want mm. from me? Can I get your cup mm. of tea? You want to talk about mm. it because some people don't want to talk about them, and some people do. Um, and as you said earlier in the first segment, that you know we we don't get taught how to deal with our feelings. So we try as soon as somebody cries, a lot of people back back the hell away. <laughs> a lot of people don't want to talk about it, and a lot of people, oh, you'll get better, you'll be strong. So it's like, well, hang on mm. a minute. How do we how do we learn to deal with our emotions, and how do we learn to be there for another person if we're not therapists? How do I be yeah. there for that person in my family or in my friend who's lost someone? How do I be there to support them? And it's not getting taught, sadly. Unfortunately, exactly. I mean, it, Although it's we're like doing it now with a podcast. We are so doing it with the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's also like even just other emotional things, like when someone's struggling with depression or anxiety, yeah. you know, yeah. we're, we're basically, we're, we're taught toxic positivity, you know, like yeah. can up be positive, smile. It's not that bad. Other people have it worse for you. And I think it's it's just gets amplified around grief as well. Because, I mean, yeah. I've, I had a client um, who was this young girl. She was 23 and her dad died and he was in his 40s unexpectedly. And it was just horrific. And like a month down the line, her her colleagues at university were like, oh, you're not over that. And like, mm. I wanted to go and like bash their faces in. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how, yeah. how useless are you people? But you're right. And I, I think... You know, maybe just some practical things we can say is to is to say things like, I don't know what to say right now, but I just want you to know I'm here for you. Yeah. Um, can I make you some tea? What 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 do you need? And if you don't know what you need, I'm just I'll just sit here with you. Yes. If, if that's okay. If you don't know the person that well, say can I give you a hug? Ask for permission. You know, and like sometimes mm -hmm. I just kind of walk into somebody and say, here, hug, you know, like <laughs> without permission. So, you know, it, it, I think it, there is, there's, there's certain things like, well, just to be in the space. So today we were, we were chatting over, I'm going, rather, if you've got nothing to say, just try not to say anything, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's our inclination to normalize, to get the, the conversation or the energy in the room back to normal, where we'll say, Oh, don't worry, it'll get better, or you know, time will heal, or you know, we say these these platitudes which sometimes are worse. They are worse. They can be so much worse for somebody who's just lost someone. Like yeah. you just want to say, cool, we'll just step off, thank you. There, that's about it. But maybe it'll help you to get in touch with your, your anger, then I suppose, right? <laughs> you go, <around> yeah. <laughs> go outside. I was like, I'm just need to go shout. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is it, it is a strange situation. But Luckily, there's likes the likes of you and I who 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 like to work with it. Who like we're not we're not scared of any feelings. Put it that way. Yeah, we aren't afraid of the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not all doom and gloom and all darkness and grief. We do have a lot of <laughs> light aspects as well. <laughs> <laughs> but but what, what, when you do, when I did enter my first phase or my first real deep experiment exper experience with grief is like I went searching for some light and I, I mentioned it last week as well, but it helps to sometimes just remi remind people that at that stage, I wasn't very spiritual. I didn't have any kind of um, set faith. I'd been brought up quite religious, but I knew my mum had a deep set of religion 
and, and faith. So in a way, I had an, a, a mentor lady who was who was going to people like spiritualists and the, the clairvoyants and the mediums and psychics, and she was getting a lot of answers. And I thought, oh, maybe that will help me. So I would make her, she was like my test, my litmus test, and she would go to them and then she'd come back and I'd say, wow, this is profound. She knew all this. So I went to my first lady and she was a medical doctor and she was fantastic. But I sat there, I think I, I was there in total for about three and a half hours in the days when you could still have, um, you know, proper contact without social distancing. And um, I, for the first hour, it was like she babbled about rubbish. Now, obviously, my primary motive for going was because I wanted to hear from my mum. And, um, you know, the way that she explained it to me, she said, because I'd never been to somebody before like this, there was a whole lot of seemingly strangers that were coming through and wanting to chat to me. And they were, they, they, I had no recognition of, of any of them. And then eventually my mother did come through and she was, it was very, very useful and very helpful. And there was, there was another issue in my personal life that, that, that she gave me some good, um, she didn't give me answers, but she gave me good advice. And I came away feeling so comforted and so, um, so relieved that I actually found some light in this dark space of mine for grief with going to this medium myself. Now, through the years, I mean, this was, I was, I was very young when, when I went to my first one. Through the years, I've obviously visited lots of different ones. And, um, you know, one of, the, one of the hardest things is like, I think I need to go for reading, but I don't really know why, because I know that, you know, they're not going to tell me exactly what I should be doing because that, they, they can't. But otherwise, um, and then a lot of the people will say, well, why are you here? And then, of course, there's this this litmus test that I'm trying to test the person on the other side. It's like, they need to tell me <laughs> why I'm there. <laughs> because I don't want to give too much of myself away, you know. Um, but then another thing at the end is like, have you got any questions? And, and it's the same as what happens when, when it's my birthday time. People will say, what do you want for your birthday? And I'll never, I'll, my mind goes blank. And then three weeks after the birthday or after the reading, for instance, I'll come up with questions or perfect presents. Do you have, ever have that? What was your experience with, with going to people to help you? Mind you, yeah, you, you mentioned about you know your your your, your dad passing and, and you had contact with people like us. Yes, I mean, I I agree with you. It's so difficult because you know even now I was sitting and thinking as I was listening to you. It's like yes, what would what would I ask actually? Yeah, and it's very hard to figure out to know what on earth. To ask, I was very lucky because I knew Kathy when my dad passed, <laughs> and she, uh, you know, kind of could um, connect with. She was connecting with him. Oh, we should tell the story about the Quran, Kathy, because that's such okay. an amazing story. Please right, tell it. So it was quite a while in my my head. A lot has happened in my head since then, so I might have the facts wrong, but you might know them a bit clearer. It was there was a. Um, I'd heard you told me your, your, your father had passed and my husband had, he'd worked overseas in some of the Middle Eastern countries and for a while. And one of his students had given him a little Quran, which he kept on the living room table. And after the session, I'd gone in, I'd gone into my session where I used to work from home from that. So I'd walked out and, and, and walked to the session. And when I came back, I noticed the Quran had moved. But it had, 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 no, let me say, the Quran had been moved. 
So obviously I'm thinking that's my husband that did it. So I said, did you move that? And he says, no, why would I do that? I'm thinking, well, it definitely wasn't there when I went out because it was, you know, it's not a very busy, not like now where I'm very messy. And, and I remember thinking, oh, that, that must be then because of your father. So then I told you that. And I can't remember. To be honest, I don't really remember what happens in sessions and <laughs> readings and things at the best of times because it's, I mean, whether it's channeling or whatever, I mean, my, I, I can go into the kitchen and forget why I'm there. <laughs> you might have a good recall. <laughs> no, I, I, that is pretty much the, the most important part of the story. I had, and I think it was on the same day um, that he had because it was a sudden it was a sudden death it wasn't like he'd been sick for very long and yeah. there was absolutely no expectation of it and um, I remember when Kathy told me that I just felt like you know the co confusion like amazement and comfort absolutely yeah. and I absolutely could feel that it was because that would be the only way he could communicate that it was him right yeah. and what what is interesting and maybe this is helpful to to share with our listeners Kath is that so the loved ones they can feel those that are more resonant as as mediums per se or or energies that are more open to connecting with them let's say mm -hmm. so you know he it he knew that Kathy was there. He could feel her. There was another friend that was also, um, he was actually supposed to have a session with her that day. Um, she's a shiatsu therapist. So he connected with her and with Kathy because he couldn't connect with me directly at that point. Um, so like, I think often loved ones, and this has been my experience with some of my clients where their loved one will connect with me because they, they're still in grief or they may be confused or they're not used to connecting yet or, or something, or they're, yeah. it's just too pain. So the loved one will kind of find the signal close, closest and yeah. then connect, especially because, I mean, we do, you know, out of love for our friends, you know, you would have opened to being more uh, available for him to connect with um, as yeah. well. So it was, it was such a, it, it was an incredible comfort to, and it was so funny because it, he did have a great sense of humor that way. So it tied yeah. in really well with, well, it would be the Quran because it was my dad and he was Muslim. <laughs> and oh, it was like, it. who moved the Quran? <laughs> and it's a, it was a tiny little book. So it wasn't like it was a big book. I mean, it, was a, it was a tiny, obviously, a representation of it. So it was a, it was a gift which was just on top of other books on the middle of. So it was not like I ever picked it up any other time. It was it was almost like an ornament. That's why I was so surprised that it had been separated from the rest of the books and put on put on the edge of the of the table. Um, so I thought, well, has 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 my husband been picking it up? Has he been looking through things in this in this book? And you know, because you know, um, and then it's when also he said, quite no, a random book to be looking through. Just just so much, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. So we, it's not like we had any reference to it at any other time. It was sorry to say this, but it was an ornament, you know. Um, so that was that was a rather strange thing. I think that is at the end of the day, you know, people. When you, when you can get a source of comfort and it comes through a person. Um, but also I remember I, I didn't want to, I was of the type where I get these things quite soon after people have passed because obviously my, my, my antennas are strong in, in that regard. And then I'll hear this random stuff or feel this random stuff and I'm going, can I tell this person who's now dealing with a shock and, you know, the, 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 the order of things that 
now this has happened because it feels almost for myself it feels like um i'm not the, i'm not got the right word but it's like like a cheap gesture you know um mm. meanwhile i don't know how much comfort it could give you so now i trust it when i when i have some random stuff like this which is not of the norm then i will say it to the appropriate person and say look this is what i heard or got or something and i hope you don't mind i'll usually ask first so don't just blurt it out and say look you know this is this is <laughs> this is what's happened because like i mean i know i am a bit of a of a, a crazy person but i'm in touch with my crazy but you know, I do try and ask people's permission first. Like, do, I know it's a strange thing to ask, but would you like some information on what I got with regarding your loved one at the time? But I think that that's one of one of the things is like, well, when you've dealt with your clients that want to come to you for a mediumship, what are the usual questions that you get asked? Is there like a standard? I There is a kind of... Um range of, of normal, let's say normalish questions that people ask. Um, was my loved one in pain, especially if they were ill and suffering for a long time, were they in pain? Was it painful when they died? Uh, where are they now? Are they okay now? Um, and more often than not, are they angry with me because X, Y, Z? Are they upset with me? You know, that kind of thing. Um, those are definitely the kind of most um, common range of questions that come up, especially initially. Yeah. And I mean, as I say, when I go and I, I get asked, it's like I'm, I'm usually going for some sort of direction. But sometimes I just want to see, can I hear from can I hear from the other person? Because I am standing in my own way of hearing my, from my own loved ones. Whereas so nowadays, I mean, you know, I don't know if you ever do you ever use cards or um angel cards or something like that i don't at all actually i just i just tune in um yeah, yeah i don't use have you ever used cards i use cards but for myself i i sometimes i'll play with them i mean and they're sometimes they're they're very very cryptic sometimes it's quite hard and i think that's what a lot of people you know a lot of the the, the naysayers and a lot of the, the skeptics will say but you know how can how can you know seeing ants have anything to do with the situation that I'm in and then I'll look up what is the ant in my card deck for instance and it'll say well it's like you're very busy or you know you're you're, you're taking care of of you're, you're working very hard or whatever and I thought okay that's appropriate so the symbolism yes is always open to interpretation mm -hmm. and, and the personal experience but sometimes that's what we need as a as a means mm -hmm. of comfort yeah, and I, I, so I, I probably get it similarly, but maybe just without the card per se. It's, um, you know, I'll sort of like I don't know why I'm. Well, it's like it's like the one that I mentioned last time about um, saying the phrase "I'm as happy as a pig in shit," a phrase I yeah. absolutely never use myself. And yeah. I was like, I don't know who am I wanting to say this, but also learning just to trust that. And then when I said it to my friend. She, she almost burst into tears and laughter at the same time because she was like, that was my mom's favorite phrase, you know? Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's, I, I, I guess the thing, it's just we get things in slightly different ways. And sometimes using the cards can be a helpful way to calm your mind and center yourself. Some people get things through the cards themselves or through um, like runes or crystals or, or that kind of thing. Um, it's just yeah. a question that that's now to do with kind of your energy. Like, and then yeah. figuring that out for yourself as a medium kind of thing. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, for myself, it's like I was looking in the in the first part, I was looking for symbols. So I was looking for butterflies and I was looking for feathers and I was looking for, you know, the usual classic symbols. And, um, I you know, I kept thinking, well, why is my mom not sending me, um, you know, that, that kind of thing. And when I went to the, my that lady, the medium, um, she said, your mom is giving you a white rose. And that was quite uncanny because there was my mom wasn't a, she wasn't a, a gardener by any means, but she did love her roses. She used to give rooibos tea, and to uh, to we as a means of treating the, the the roses. And I tied it in with when our dog had died, we a white rose as a memoriam plant, which was actually quite a lovely thing. And we used to call it the Sammy Rose because the dog's name was Sammy. So the fact that my mom had come with this white rose was quite significant to me at the time, you know, and not the red roses. Because at first I'm thinking, well, she didn't have red roses. So I'm thinking, okay, well, the white rose could symbolize Sammy. And then it gave me comfort, which was which was quite nice after an hour of rambling from all these past ancestors who thought they knew me. <laughs> yes, and that's it, right? It's the comfort that really helps us get through these things. Yeah. mediumship and now we're touching on what are we touching on (laughs) (laughs) we are going to talk about (laughs) we're segueing from us as therapists and how we help people with their grieving on a kind of therapeutic practical level and we are now segueing into how we connect as mediums and how we kind of bring that in for those that are wanting us to um to help them because you know we were saying it can bring a lot of comfort and a lot of reassurance and a lot of hope through the grieving process um so we thought it would be fun if we talk about how we both connect uh sometimes you know it can be different for each of us and then different depending on the people that we connecting with so we're gonna talk about that now okay and just to point out to the listeners that everybody does this differently there is no right or wrong way if it feels comfortable with you that's what you do I mean some of us have spirit guides that we consult some of them you know like we it to to me it's this beautiful it's like a conversation you've got different friends in in that are alive that you need to talk to them differently some people you might have to say on your on your like whatsapp for instance hello how are you whereas me I never end off a conversation so sometimes I don't even say good morning to somebody because I've been talking to them like you is <laughs> Yes, like, this is one constant. <laughs> we don't say goodbye, and it's no different to me. That's no different from from communing with you know, particularly my own personal uh, guides. I would say, but guides guides sounds like they've got this big job to do, and I don't think. I mean, they've got a they do their own job, but it, you know, sometimes when you say connect with your spirit guides, it's like such a formal way, and it, that's not the way that I experience it. To me, it's just another conversation in my head. Mm. I think that's really helpful that you say it that way, Kath, because I think we can think we have to go through all kinds of spiritual hoops or processes or be meditating in a particular way or do a process in a particular way in order to connect with a guide. Um, But if you start looking at at it as just a conversation like I would have with Kathy, like I would have with so-and-so, it can help break down some of the anxiety and fears and things around that. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your guide, or one of your guides, I should say. Okay. Well, years ago, I mean, because as I say, I, I've read all these fancy 
spiritual books and things and I and I'm not very good meditator as you can hear I'm, I'm like very scattered in my brain and stuff so in those days I was like oh, I want to do this properly I really want to do this properly I want to connect with my spirit guide so I did this wonderful course and she was fantastic and she said right let's just find out so as to not overwhelm ourselves let's just connect with um you know ask your guide your name the name so if, of course, in the discussion afterwards, everybody's going, oh, well, they had chief sitting there and this one and this one. And I'm not knocking that because I do believe that they are there. And I had had the experience where I was sitting on the bench doing what she'd instructed us, just closing our eyes and just relaxing and just feeling and just asking the question. And the immediate answer I got was Alvin. And I'm going, Alvin? No, no, I've got a brother that sounds very similar. His name is Alfie. And I've got... No, no, no. And it was no, it was very clearly and very definitely Alvin. And when we discussed this afterwards, <clears throat> excuse me, I said Alvin, and I felt almost intimidated. Of course, it made everybody laugh. And I didn't see the relevance. And I don't, I don't chat to Alvin per se directly. I don't really, sometimes I'll call on him if I'm, you know, like saying, okay, right, you need some to give me some help here. And then years later, I mean, I'm talking in the fairly last five years, I read this book by somebody talking about her spiritual connection and she had a similar experience to me and her her guide's name was Fred but then she she went on to explain that she looked up what Fred meant and the meaning of that name was so remarkable so I thought oh I've never looked up the name Alvin and I looked it up and it means noble friend or old friend and it just clicked so nicely in my head Mm -hmm. that I thought that's giving me comfort and you Zareda do you have any (laughs) <laughs> I don't actually have, I mean, I have over the years when also doing these courses connected with various guides that I can't remember now. Um, when I'm connecting with a deceased loved one, I usually just, so I, and you've probably heard Kathy and I mentioned this before, but I just tune in to their energy. Um, sometimes I'll call them particularly and say like, you know, like auntie who I have chatted about before. I'll be like, auntie, can you come and help right now? Um, or sometimes if I'm struggling to connect with someone else, I'll, I'll maybe call someone that I'm familiar with, like auntie, to come and help. Um, yeah. But for me, it's much more of a, I tune into the energy of the person or the thought of the person. Yeah. And then kind of see what comes. And, you know, like Kathy was saying, it's like we, we all connect in different ways. And then they connect with us in different ways. And I think that can be quite helpful to us for people just to kind of remember because some communicate by showing us pictures, like yeah. images in your mind. Some connect showing um, like, a, a, like a whole scene, you know, like, a, like, a, um, like almost like a, some, a scene from a movie or something. Mm-hmm. Others connect through feelings. Um, yeah or through songs or words that pop into your head. Um, so yeah. that, that would be like covering the spectrum of our clear, you know, audience and clairvoyance and that kind of thing. But um, it can be helpful just to know that it helps to pay attention across your senses, <laughs> in a <Yeah>. sense, <laughs> as you are <laughs> tuning in. But, but I think as well is also if you, if you know your own voice, like I know my own voice quite, quite well, because of all the, the, the years of work and therapy and stuff we've done. So, and I'm used to doing the self-analysis. But I think what a lot of people that are new to this, we're not sure what, what is my voice and what is this, like Alvin's voice, for instance. And mm. Alvin, it didn't speak. It wasn't a different voice that made me look around in the chair and get frightened. It was just a very clearing. This 
this is not quite my voice. So that, that distinction sometimes can be hard for people when they're st first starting out to make the connections, as you say, to the, the loved ones. So I think the process of us naming them can sometimes help. Like, okay, this is not my answer. This is Alvin's answer, for, for instance, or Auntie's answer, for instance, because I've named them. So what is mine and what is not? But it doesn't mm. always happen that it is a different um, sound or a different voice in your head. I mean, I think I've told you as well the one time about um, Archangel Gabriel. I'm sure I told you that story, Zareda, didn't I? I can't but remember. I, tell, it, tell it to all of us now. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I've, one of these cards that I mentioned in the previous segment was, this, it's arc, you know, connecting to arch, archangels, archangels, archangels. And... Um, so, of course, watching the program Lucifer as well, where he's super dishy, and it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, I've never thought of, you know, that realm as being so real to, to us in that connectable way. So the one night I was going, okay, I'm going to connect to Archangel Gabriel because there was something specific. I can't remember those details. And then the next thing I said, right, I'm tuning in, and I got this man. And it was definitely a man, although some of the, the translations of the Archangel Gabriel is female. This, in my image, he was a man sitting at the window smoking. Now, I don't, I don't like smoking, and it makes me sneeze. And I'm going, "Why are you smoking?" And you know, and then he says, "Because I like it." And I says, "Well, who are you?" And he says, "Just call me Gabe." And I'm going, <laughs> "Gabe." I mean, I know I'd watched a lot of Lucifer the program, <laughs> but I'm going, "Am I great?" But it gave me such comfort, and I thought it makes such perfect sense that I've got um, cookie or funky. Um, guides that would mess with me like this because I am very playful in nature. So it's like, okay, so now when I sometimes I say Gabe, you know, and then when I said to him, so why are you smoking? And he says, because it's heavenly. And I, <laughs> you know, that's like a Robin Williams answer, you know, so in that, in that sense, it, it gave me such a lot of fun because I'm going, okay, Gabe, you know, <laughs> and it exactly. just made it more modern. And made it much more relatable. And I think this is maybe a lovely big message to share with people is that we all take it, life, the universe, everything, little Douglas Adams reference there, <laughs> far too seriously, far yeah. too seriously. Our yeah. loved ones, the angels, you know, Jesus, everyone that you can think of. These are just some I'm happening to be naming right now love to have fun they all have great senses of humor and we all take it way too seriously and we all like over like um worry about how we connect and what we say and we mustn't swear and things like that and i think this is such a beautiful example of just connecting you know like actually they are so much more present they are so much closer to us than we realize they're not far yeah. away up in the sky in the heavens they can be sitting next to us on the bench on the couch you know, having a, having a smoke, a heavenly smoke, um, you know, and yeah. that can also help us to um, feel that it's easier to connect as well, you know, because exactly. they, they have fantastic senses of humor. I mean, the, the humor that can come through at times is just, you know, surprising and shocking, as you say, but also uh, so wonderfully relatable and so much fun. For sure. I mean, you know, when I did the Camino and we I went into all these little chapels, I was amazed. Outside, the, the building looks like it's falling down. And inside, there's these beautiful works of art and these beautiful paintings. And I met, I called him my, my little Irish professor. 
he was just with us on the one day and he was a history professor, which was great because he and he was doing this for religious reasons. And I said to him, we talked about all the, the you know, and he was predominantly very strongly Catholic. And he says, because it's a Catholic, it used to be a Catholic pilgrimage. He says, the sad thing is when these churches were built, there was very little visual stimulation. People couldn't read because they were, they were usually peasants. So they needed, and there was no TV. I mean, TV, you know, so, so their only access to something that was visually pleasing in the eye were these works of art and things of gold that were in the churches. And they put them up high mm-hmm. so that you lift your eyes up towards the heavens. So it was very symbolic. And I'd never thought of it like that. But mm. the presentation that was the way that it was drawn, of course, was all these like fat little angel terib- cherubs with gold golden hair and it isn't that isn't really the reality but it is because that's sort of endured those images have lasted the fact that I saw Gabe sitting there with with a smoke and he had short hair and he was you know it it just seemed well hang on a minute that is definitely far more modern and I think you know the the notion that that we have to if, if it's not coming up in the certain image that I've had or been sort of brainwashed into thinking is the only way that it comes in can be quite daunting because oh, I'm not seeing him I'm not seeing Gabe with the trumpets and the you know he was sitting smoking calling himself mm. Gabe you know so exactly. to me that was such a comfort and and you know you know I we, we sit and we have this idea and when we laugh it does lift our vibrations so even in in the therapy context when when things are very dark and very serious and, and your problems are very serious when there's a little bit of humor it brings our vibration up which means that we we are lifted energetically as well and physically because we're laughing so and we relax yes we relax we can allow more to flow actually laughter is what a brilliant way to get into that flow we were talking about earlier um so i think to also just remember that cosmic sense of humor is a primary thing to be focusing on instead of the other way around you know to, to almost look out for the humor um because often the universe is not sending the butterflies. They're sending something completely kooky, as you say, Kath, or um, random. <laughs> or random. Yes, exactly. For sure. random. That's why you have to pay more attention, right? And and kind of concentrate because you're going to be getting signs and messages from your loved ones um, in all kinds of strange ways. Um, yeah. I think maybe a, a, a helpful note to end on is like, just fake it. If you're not yeah. sure, just pretend that you you'd believe. Pretend that you're getting it. Fake it that you're getting it. And eventually you'll start trusting yourself to know that you are actually getting it. And that's, and that's the even bigger comfort. And that's what we do. We're faking this podcast, aren't we? We're just faking, <laughs> faking it. Fake it until you make it. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Zareda, for the lack of chat. And um, it has been such a, an a interesting one as usual, a rabbit hole of conversation. And look forward to the next one. Looking forward to it too.